As many of you know, if you've been listening the last couple of years, um, and I, it's not a conscious thing I've done. Um, I haven't chosen to do it consciously. I've really tried to be led of the Lord. But um, I have probably 80 to 90% if I could put a number on it. And I may be a little high, but I'm not too far off with that number. Probably 80 or 90% of the uh, messages that I have uh, spoken in the last couple of years have either had as their core message or have had somewhere in the message a connection to the Gospels. Uh, the last couple of years especially, um, I have lived in the Gospels. I don't say that because the Gospels are of greater importance than um, any other scripture. There's 66 books in the Bible. There's only four Gospels. I'm not suggesting that we should only stick with those four and the other 62 books are of no significance. But to me, the Gospels are so pivotal. They're so foundational. They're so applicable to you and I today. And uh, if you did nothing but study the Gospels, not that you should neglect the Old and the Old Testament, not that you should neglect Acts through Revelation, but if you had to choose today, if you had to choose between the four Gospels and the other 62 books, you couldn't go wrong with either choice. But there's so much in the Gospels because the Gospels center and focus around Jesus Christ and the ministry that he had on this earth. And there's so much depth to it. And so uh, I feel like it just the Lord just keeps bringing me back to the Gospels. And uh, we're going to be doing that now for the next several weeks. Um, I believe that... Here at Antioch West, we have been on a journey and a quest. Sometimes that journey has been undefined. I believe more and more God is defining what that journey is and what the purpose of that journey is. And we're going to begin to talk about that over the next four weeks. Um, and we're going to use some terminology. Actually, five weeks today's not really starting it. We're going to start uh, in the next couple of weeks. But um, we're going to be talking about a terminology that we've used many, many times. The idea of discipleship. But before you tune me out, I believe that there are so many layers to this quest. You can't say you've exhausted the subject. Uh, but before we do that, I want to look at something. The Lord, I woke up this morning and I thought God was going to have me start in one direction. But when I woke up this morning, um, these two words were ringing out in me. And I want to talk about them today as the Lord would lead. Let's start if we can. We're going to read a little bit of scripture today. So if you are following along and would like to um, read with me, that would probably be better for you than listening to me drum along here. And uh, I'm going to invite you, if you can, to grab a Bible or to grab a device and uh, read along with me so that you can um, know exactly where I am at. And then as you read the scripture, God will speak to you. But Luke chapter 9, let's start there. That's a really good one to start. Let's look at Luke chapter 9. We're going to read, again, from several different places in the Gospels. But we're going to start with Luke chapter 9, verse 57. It says, as they were going along the, uh, the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, "Let Lord, 
Let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at home. Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the pile looks back and fit for the kingdom. Let's go to Mark chapter 1. And we're going to read verse number 16. This is a very famous, we're going to actually go, we're going to be using this a lot in the next couple of weeks. But Mark chapter 1, uh, verse 16, we're going to just talk about it just for a moment today. And this is the calling of Jesus, as Mark records it, the calling of Jesus, his first disciples, Peter and Andrew. Um, and verse 16 says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. In the Gospels, the word follow me is used 13 times spoken by Jesus. 13 times we see the uh, Jesus say, follow me. We see it again in Luke chapter 18, verse 18, Jesus, uh, ver verse 18 through verse uh, 22, Jesus again has the invitation, follow me. In Matthew 16, uh, verse 24, Jesus told the disciples, if anyone come after me, let him deny himself, take his cross and follow me. Again, there's this, this quest, this, this question. And we understand, and we're going to get into this later because that's not where we're going to go today. But we've heard this command, this, 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 this invitation to follow me. And we know in a little bit of study, it doesn't take much to understand that that, that is going to require some things of us. That statement is not free. That statement does not come without any clause to the contract. But there's another invitation that we see in scripture that is repeated several times. And in at first glance, it looks like that these two are unrelated. It looks like at first glance uh, that these two um, seemingly are contrary one to another. But we're going to talk about the two invitations of Christ. Because the other invitation today is John chapter 7. And this is a beautiful beautiful scene that's being painted here by John. I don't have time to go into this. I've done it before and taught, taught on it before. But this John chapter 7 scene is quite magnificent in what is actually happening. There's this amazing imagery that's happening sort of in the story and behind the story when you, when you kind of look at it and research it out. This is a phenomenal scene. It's absolutely one of those Hollywood scripted moments. And in the midst of all this, John 37, I mean, chapter 7, verse 37 says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him want to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. There's this invitation here to come. It's an invitation based off a condition to come. And then we see in Matthew chapter 11, Matthew gives us his own version of this invitation. Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you 
and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. At first, it, if you look at it on the surface, it seems like these two invitations are disjointed. It feels like in some ways these two um, invitations that Jesus is giving are in conflict with one another in some ways. Because in one moment, he's asking you to come, and here's what it's going to give to you. But on another situation, he's asking you to let go and follow. Now, what is it? What am I supposed to come, or am I supposed to follow? And if I come, can I follow? If I follow, do I not come? And there's this, this, this seemingly uh, surface tension and, a, and, and in some ways this surface contradiction that appears to leave us in limbo on what you and I are to do in response to the invitations that Jesus is given to our life. Now, let me stop here for a moment because some of you already know this, but some of you may not. And this is a very important piece to understand. These are invitations. One invitation is to come. The other invitation is to follow. But let's look at this for a moment and understand that's exactly what they are. They're not commands. Jesus is not telling you, you better do this or he's saying, if you will do this, then here's what's going to happen. It's an invitation and an opportunity. It's not a command with consequences. Why is that important? It's important because it shows us that God cannot work past you and I and our will. He cannot work past our will. Meaning today, right where you are, you have and possess within you the most powerful God-stopping force in the universe. The devil can't stop God. There is no demonic power that can stop God. But there is a God-stopping force in the universe, and you possess it, and I possess it. And it is the most dangerous force in all of the universe and that is our will because it's our will that can stop God from working it's our will that can basically handcuff God and make God's power useless and worthless in our life because he cannot move past our will and here it is again where he says if you thirst I see your condition but I cannot fix your condition until you first engage the fact that your will cannot run your life you've got to come to me you've got to put your will down and you've got to acknowledge that's why the other part in the scripture where he says I stand at the door and I knock right I don't beat the door down I don't hold the key to open the door I'm not going to ram the door I'm going to knock because it's up to you and I to respond to the invitation. This is the crux of everything when it comes to God. God does not force us to do one thing. God will never work past your will. God will never twist your arm and make you do something as you go kicking and screaming. Now, he will sometimes make your life miserable. He will sometimes put you in a situation where there is no way out but him. If I take you up to a a, 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 a building today that is uh, a couple hundred feet um, 
tall and I take you to the edge and I say to you, I'm going to give you a choice. Jump off or don't jump off. I haven't violated your will. I'm giving you a choice. You say, well, that's not really a choice. Technically, it is a choice. I haven't told you to jump off and I haven't told you not to jump off. I've given you a choice. But you know, based off of the consequences of your decision, you really don't have a choice. So I haven't violated your will, but I have made it to the point you're not going to like the choices you make. God cannot violate your will, but he can make it to you're not going to like the choices if you choose to jump. God cannot keep you from hell. I mean, God, God cannot force you to go to heaven. But if you choose to run your own life, the consequences are hell. But God's not sending you to hell. He's giving you a choice. Your will is what sends you to hell. Nobody in hell is going to be able to point their finger at God and say, you sent me here. The Bible talks about in hell, there's a thing called the worm that dieth not. That's not talking about a physical worm eating at you. That worm that dieth not is sort of this ultimate nagging feeling and this repetitive voice of regret that never goes away that you literally are going to go through every moment of your life where God reached out and tried to help you that you made the wrong decision where you gave in to the lust of your flesh the lust of your eyes the lust of your of 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 of, of your ears you gave in to all the lusts of your flesh because the bible says when 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 lust have conceived it bringeth forth sin so no one's going to be able to look in hell and look up at God and go, you put me here, you mean, mean God. We're all going to go, who's in hell? And hopefully I say that, not we all. I hope I don't say that. <laughs> Please, Jesus, save me. But we're, we, but those in hell are going to be, are, are only going to be able to look, look up and with, with, with ultimate regret and know that they are there because of their will. So Jesus demonstrates this here with his invitations. He demonstrates the fact that he says, come. It's a condition based off your response. He says in John 7, this wonderful, beautiful, that if you're thirsty, he's going to give you this everlasting drink of living water that's going to flow from you and never die. And it's not always going to be there. It's going to be refreshing and life-giving. But the condition he puts on that is he says, come. He didn't say, I'll come to you. He says, come, it's a condition, it's an invitation. But then the other one that Matthew gives us is even greater in its description. Because let's look at those that uh, are in the condition. There are heavy burdened. They are tired. They are weary. They are stressed out. They're overworked and underpaid. They're, they're constantly running but not making any progress. It is the ultimate life on a treadmill. You work so hard to make progress, but it seems like no matter how hard you run, you look over and you're the same place right now as you were yesterday, the day before that, and the day before that. And therefore, to you, it just feels like you never can make any progress. Your life is always going to be that way. And then that nagging voice says, it was like this today. It's going to be like this tomorrow. It's always going to be like that. And then those voices of hopelessness begin to eat at you 
And for some, that voice even eats at you to the point it opens you up and some suffer from depression and then some begin to listen to the voice of suicide and some even go as far as to attempt to take their own life or even succeed in that because it starts with the fact that they are in that mode. They're running on empty. They're running heavy burden. They're running with pain in their heart. They're running with hopelessness. They're running with 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 emotions and depression and oppression and fear and worry and doubt and every other emotion I I can't think of right now. But they're running with regret. They're running with 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 hurt. They're running with 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 abuse. They're running with addiction. They're running with all these things. And Jesus looks down and sees all that and he he says, "I can help you." There's not one thing right now that God does not see going on in your life. He is not some far off distant deity that is so absolutely engulfed in his own greatness that he does not know the pain and the suffering that is happening in your life. That's one of the problems we have with understanding God is we say, God, how can there be so much suffering in the world if you truly are God? But we're looking at it from the wrong way. We're looking at it from our, our eyes because God has given us the antidote to pain, the antidote the suffering but there's a condition on it he acknowledges and speaks to the condition God today knows exactly where you are now for some of you that's hope and for some of you that just irritates you some of you go well he does well if he knows where I am then he's a he's, he's a terrible God because if he knows where I am, why is he leaving me in all of this? If he knows I'm hurting, why isn't he healing me? If he knows I'm going through all of this, why is he not doing anything about it? But he says, I stand. I'm I knock. I knock. I'm knocking today. That's what I feel like the Holy Ghost wants me to say to someone today. That voice you hear, that that sound you hear is God knocking at your door. Some of you, he's been knocking for a few days. Some of you, he's been knocking for years and you've done everything you can to avoid it. You've done everything you can to, 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 uh, to, to, uh, drown it out. But he keeps knocking. The Bible says his love endures forever. His love endures forever. That means, you know what? His love keeps knocking even though you you don't listen. His love keeps knocking even though you're not you're not even paying attention. His love keeps knocking even though when you say, God, go away. I don't want you. I don't need you. I don't care about you, God. His love endures forever. We just read it in Psalms chapter uh, uh, 118. Steadfast love endures forever. What's that mean? He's going to keep knocking because he is trying to reach out to you and say there is hope. So why is there hope? Why doesn't God just... Make it happen because there's a condition built into the invitation. The invitation is here it is, but you've got to come. You've got to come. If you were sick today, in fact, here in our area, several weeks, about a a week ago, I think it was, maybe a little longer. Some of you would know because you're a part of the medical field, but it was about a week ago. Our hospital system with the Omicron uh, variant of COVID was so inundated with um, emergency patients that they actually sent out a request in our area 
that unless there were certain and they listed some conditions, please don't come to the hospital for an emergency because our hospital is overwhelmed with uh, emergency cases. So I, I, I'm saying all that because my example here doesn't take that into account. But if you were sick today, if you were in an emergency situation today, would you sit here and go, okay, well, obviously there's a doctor out there that knows what's going on in my body. He can fix it. So I'm going to sit here and wait for him to come because I know that if I'm here, they're somehow going to know and they're going to come help me. They're going to come. They're going to come help me. I know they are. You could sit here in your condition and die. Even though there, are some, there is doctors out there, nurses out there that could help you. What would you do? Several years ago, there was a man in our church, Brother John Weitzel. And uh, John was at a, at a, um, a job site. He, he uh, owns a construction company. He was at a job site. And, and uh, forgive me, John, if I don't get all the details correct. It's been several years, so I might get a little fuzzy. But in that um, situation, John had had some previous heart problems. So he's a little more, he was a little familiar with this condition but he was at the job site and things started to go squirrely. I think he started to feel like the world was sort of closing in. He started having some other sensations in his body. He knew it wasn't good. And he knew he was several minutes away from the hospital here in our area. He was not near. But he knew if he waited and called the ambulance because of where he was, by the time that they found him and discovered him, he may not even be alive in order for them to save him. So uh, I don't suggest you do this, and neither did John. John, we talked about it and had a laugh when it was all over. But John, in his condition, drove himself to the emergency room. He doesn't even remember how he got there. I believe that there was an angel of God guiding his truck all the way there. You can say, well, that's crazy, but your faith you believe what you want to believe, I'll believe what I want to believe. But a man in the middle of having a heart attack who is not coherent and is starting to lose vision and consciousness, how does he get across town through traffic, through all of this, not killing somebody, not killing himself, and not getting a ticket? But he pulls up to the emergency room, walks in, and he literally is there about to pass out, and he walks up to the desk and tells the lady, and the lady kind of starts asking me all these questions, and he looks at him and says, you don't get it, ma'am. I'm about to die. I am having a heart attack. Finally, they took it serious and they took him back and they were able to stabilize him and, and able to, to uh, save him through some things that they did. I told that story because that's where some of you are right now. You're sitting in your truck and you are feeling the world begin to to begin to close in on you. You're beginning to feel life begin to close. That the noose of, of, of pain and suffering is getting tighter. The, the, the feeling of, of not being able to breathe. The depression and all of this stuff that's starting to just suck the life out of you. You can just feel it beginning to squeeze you. And every breath you take, it's harder to take that neck breath. And I'm not talking about naturally. It's not a natural description. You might feel 100% healthy. You might be the strongest, most fit person ever. But inside, these are the things you feel feel inside today. These are the things you're dealing with inside. This is the struggle that you're having inside today. And you feel like everything's closing in. You can choose today to sit there and go, okay, well, if there's somebody out there that can help me, I'm here. Hello. I'm waiting. 
You know, if God really loved me, he would come down and do something right here, right now. Yeah, he has. He's done it before. I've heard stories and I know scripture where God, where, where, where God did that. But you know what? If John would have called the ambulance who has the ability to bring life-saving devices to your doorstep, but he was at the condition that if he would have waited for them to show up, he may not have made it. I'm telling someone today in the Holy Ghost, God has put me on here today to tell somebody, if you wait any longer, there may not be anything left to wait for. But if you really want God to work, today is the day that you need to act. You say, what does that mean? I don't know what that means for you. I can't spell it out in perfect applicable language. You do this and do that and go here and go there. But I'm telling you today, God is trying to tell somebody, I'm giving you an invitation. I'm laying it out there, but I'm needing you to respond. But if you respond, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's, if you're thirsty, I'm going to fill you up today. If you're heavy burdened, I'm going to make it light today. If you're, if you're weary, I'm going to give you rest today. But I need you to come to me. Why? Because I'm, I'm God. I'm holy God. I'm not, I'm, not even, I'm not even going to bother getting out of my throne today because it's just too beneath me. No, no. Because the Bible says this. Let's look it up real quick so you don't think I'm making it up. Let's, let's, um, let's look it up. One second. Uh, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. And let's look at something real quick if we can. Because this is the verse. Here we go. Let's look at all of Hebrews for the first six verses. Because you need to hear what I'm saying today. Not what I'm saying, what the Holy Ghost is saying. Hebrews 11 verse number one. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that this is that, so that what is seen is not made of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was has he was commended as righteousness as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death as he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Verse 6, here we go. And without faith, it is impossible. There it is. Literally, you cannot get more definitive than that statement. I'm sorry. I don't care how good a person you are. I don't care how many acts of kindness you perform. I don't care how faithful you are to religious activities. That statement right there says none of that really means a hill of beans to God. That right there says without faith, it is impossible. Forgive me for getting animated here, but i got to drive that home with some conviction. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. But God, look what I'm doing over here. God, I'm giving money to the poor. God, I'm coming to, ch I'm, I'm faithful to all my religious activities. God, I'm checking off my boxes. God, I'm doing all this. Yeah, but you're not doing it for the heart of faith. You're not doing it with engaged faith. So all of those things are nothing to God because he says without faith, it 
is impossible. Impossible. How much more definitive do you need to get? It is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Notice this. The condition and response to come is a condition and response of faith. You cannot come to God without faith. You cannot please God without faith. You cannot respond to the invitation of God without faith without responding with faith. But he says, if you come, here's why you're going to come. Because faith is going to tell you that whoever draws near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards. Meaning, not a reward like, good boy, here you go, here's a treat. But it's more from the standpoint, if I come to you, you're going to give me what you promised. That's why some of you don't move. That's why when God gives the invitation, you stand there paralyzed with fear and doubt because you believe that if you do, God's going to do the old Indian giver trick. Here it is. Ah, you came to me. I'm sorry. Because you've been let down before by men. You've been lied to. You've been hurt. You've been rejected. So you figure if everyone else has done that and God is, what, what makes God different? And so that voice of doubt creeps in and instead of coming to God, you don't go to the hospital if you're having a heart attack unless you believe that somebody at that hospital can help you. Right? That's faith. That's faith. Faith. You say, well, that doesn't sound very much like faith. No, 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 no. That's because we made faith some kind of spiritual, mystical, ooh, what are you doing? I've got faith. Want to see my faith? What are you doing? I'm, I'm exercising and releasing my faith. Why? Because it's spiritual. Can you feel it? I want you to get right there in front of me. I want you to feel my faith. Ready? I'm going to release my faith. That's why some of you, when you speak in tongues, you sound like a motor that can't get started. Because you try to make us feel That's not the Holy Ghost. Your engine's stuck. Because you don't have faith. I'm not making fun. Some of you are like, well, that's, you're making fun. I'm not making fun. I'm getting you to realize you don't have faith. You may look like you have faith. You may have all the markings of someone of faith, but you don't have faith. You don't go to the hospital, to the doctors, if you don't believe there's someone there that can help you. And you say, well, that, again, that's not faith. It is faith because faith without works is dead. You can sit in that... Uh, my, our, our good brother John could have sat there in that truck and said, I'm having a heart attack. Well, John, what, 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 what do you need? I, I, I know someone at the hospital can help, help me. Well, go to the hospital. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. What if I just sit here and I believe I'm at the hospital? I'm going to believe it. Ready? Here we go. I'm at the hospital. I'm at the hospital. I'm at the hospital. I'm at the hospital. You would look at him and say, excuse me, sir, um, that may work in some other world, but you're going to actually have to physically go. I'm glad you can name it and claim it. I believe the Bible says, I believe, therefore I have spoken. But you can name it and blame it, blab it and grab it. You can't lose with the stuff I use all you want, but eventually you're going to have to put your money where your mouth was and get your feet moving. 
Because Jesus said, come unto me. You can sit back and say, okay, Jesus, I'm coming. I know you're my answer. Here I come, Jesus. Here I come, Jesus. Here I come. I'm coming, Jesus. Hold on a second. I'm coming. Give me a minute. I'm coming. That's what you do. You can't fool God into saying something that your actions aren't backing up. This is kind of off where I thought I was going, but God's, I feel the Holy Ghost right now trying to reach to somebody because God's got your answer. God's got your deliverance. God's got your freedom. He's got your healing. But there's a condition to that, and that condition is come. But you've got to activate your faith. That means you're going to have to put some action to that. That means you're going to have to get up today, like we said, and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Wait a minute. Is everything great? No, actually, it's hell today. Do you feel great? No, I feel horrible. I'm in pain. I'm suffering. I'm feeling with depression. But I choose to act. But he said, if without faith it's impossible to please me, because he who comes to me must believe that I am, but more importantly, that I reward or I am true to the word to those who seek me. So in order for me to get up and engage my faith, I've got to believe that God said what he said and will back it up. He said, come to him that are heavy laden. He'll give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon me and learn of me because I'm lowly heart and, 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 and you'll find rest and my burdens light and, and, and all this stuff. I've got to believe that. See, that's where the problem is. That's the difference between relationship and religion. That's the condition. I wrote this down in my notes today, and I say this here towards the end. There are four conditions. There's four things in this verse here. I'll read it again one more time. He says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden in light. There are four conditions, four things, four steps, four activation points in that. Come learn. Come take, learn, and find. Come take, learn, and find. All of those are steps of faith. Come. That values relationship over religion. Re religion draws you into a system. Relationship draws you to the one who can help. He says, come. Not come to church. Not come to an activity. Not come and listen to somebody else. He said, come unto me. That's the first condition. The first condition is, this is all about him. It's not about Joel Wright. Not about Antioch West. Not about your piousness. Not about your religious checkbox. It's not about your pedigree. It's not about your failures or your past performances. It's not about the fact that you can't seem to do it right. The condition is simply come. He didn't put anything else on it. He didn't say, come all you perfect people. Come all of those who pray. 12 hours a day. Come to those, come to me, all those of you that fast. Come to all those that read the Bible. Come to me, all those who have never said a bad word, never smoked, never drink, never cursed, never chewed, never hung out with folks that do. Come to me. He just said, come. That means you. Yeah, I'm talking to you today. That means you. Can't get it right. Can't seem to do anything right. Got more problems than you know what to do with. Got all kinds of junk. He's talking to you. He's not talking to the elite today. He's talking to you. He said, come. The second thing when you come, take. Take. Meaning you've got to receive what's offered to you. That's action. 
That's action. That's another way of saying it is be a doer of the word and not a hearer also. You're hearing the word. But how do I take? Okay, I acknowledge that God's talking. What do I have to do after this? You've got to take it. What does that mean? That means to be a doer of the word and not a hearer of the word. Meaning when this is all said and done and I get off here in a minute, instead of sitting there and going about your day, you might have to stop and stop and say, God, I know you're calling me. I don't know what it means, God. That man spoke for 45 minutes and he was all over the map and I really don't understand half he was saying, but I do know you were trying to get me to do something. God, I don't know what it is, but would you show me? What does it mean for me to activate? Because for you, it might be something you should do. For you, it might be something to stop doing. For some of you, taking is going to be action in the positive. Others of you, it's going to be action and stop doing what you're doing. Take it. The next thing is Learn. He said what? Learn that I am. Learn that I'm meek. Lonely. Learn that I'm lowly in heart. And if I'm that, you're going to learn I'm not a hard taskmaster. I'm not unloving. I'm not uncaring. I'm not selfish. You see, that's the beauty of this. When you look at God from this angle, he looks uncaring. How can God sit there and tell me to come when he knows what I'm going through? But when you get into the yoke, when you accept that invitation, when you reach out to him and he pulls you close, you'll realize he actually is loving. He actually is caring. He's meek. He's kind. He's not a hard taskmaster. And the beauty about all that is when you do all that, when you come and you take and you learn, and the greatest part about this is you find. You find Meaning, you get to discover things about God you didn't know. You get to discover things about yourself you didn't know. You find places in you that you go, wow, God. So to the worn out in heart, Jesus says, come. Just like he did Lazarus. To those wanting with a wanting heart or a needing heart, Jesus says, come. Just like he did Zacchaeus, who was a man searching for hope. To those who are wandering around, lost and need direction, he said, come and see, just like he said to John and Andrew. And for those of you that are weary, he already said it in John in Matthew chapter 11, come unto me. There's a condition in all those. He said to Lazarus, come forth. He says to the Zacchaeus, come down. He says to John and Andrew, come and see. And he says to the weary heart, come unto me. All those are conditions. You see, here's the beauty about all this. When you start this journey, it doesn't automatically start yielding results immediately. Sometimes it does. But don't lose hope today if you start this and it automatically change. They have archaeologists in the town of Bethany have a place marked called the tomb of Lazarus. This tomb has been marked as the place where Lazarus, who if you go in scripture and you read the gospel of John, Lazarus was resurrected by Jesus. He was the brother of Mary and Martha. It's a phenomenal story. I suggest you go and read it. But Jesus says to Lazarus, come forth. He comes out of the grave in Grave clothes. It's a great story of redemption. But here's the power of the story that I 
that I believe God has shown me that can speak to you today. This is how faith works. They found a, there's a tomb in the town of Bethany. It's called the Lazarus tomb. It dates back to about 200, uh, the year 200 AD. It was at that time where there was a uh, historian that marked that this was the tomb that Lazarus was, uh, was resurrected from. Now, we don't know definitively 100% that that was the tomb, but we are certain that that tomb or a tomb just like that was one that Lazarus came out of because in the town of Bethany, there are some tombs that are preserved and they and, and Mary and Martha would have been a family of great prominence because when Lazarus died, the whole town came out. So he would not have been buried in some off little, little tiny place no one knew about. He would have been buried in something of somewhat significance and somewhat of circumstance because the town knew about this. So these tombs that they've discovered have a unique feature because I don't know about you, but when I think of the tomb that Lazarus came out of, I think of this stone rolling away and on the other side there'd be a room and Lazarus walking out. But the tombs in Bethany are very old, they're very ancient, and because they housed many we think of a tomb today, if you go to a graveside, there's a stone marker that represents someone or maybe of a husband and wife buried together. But you don't really go into a place where there's multiple families, multiple people laid in. But in tombs at that day and time, a tomb could have dozens, if not more, depending on the size of, of bodies and eventually bones laid in it. So this tomb that Lazarus was in was not just a Lazarus's tomb, but it was a tomb that held most of his family, maybe his mother and his father, extended family. So it's multiple places in that tomb. And because of that, and the area in which Bethany is located, it's a very um, porous rock. It's like a limestone, so it's very easily carved. So these tombs go way down. They have many different layers. And they've discovered through archaeological research that the the area of this tomb, whether it's the tomb or not, but the area of this tomb that would have dated to around the time of Christ was several layers down. I'm talking about, you, they, you can see pictures of it. There's these narrow passageways that go down, I mean, three or four different flights of stairs through different types of nooks and crannies to get down to the area that would have been the first century area. You're like, what in the world does this have to do with anything? Here's what I saw when I when I found when I discovered this tomb and I was reading about this tomb. I'm reading about this tomb and I'm I'm a I'm an archaeological history junkie. I like reading about it. But I'm reading this tomb and all of a sudden I'm reading about it and I just get excited. Because if Lazarus was laid in the tomb, down layers. And he's wrapped in grave clothes, right? Because remember, he came out, he was still in grave clothes. It's not exactly the most mobile thing. That means when Jesus showed up to town, praise God, I'm about to get excited. When he shows up to town and Mary and Martha come to him and they're crying and saying, well, if you would have been there, our brother wouldn't have died. He said, wait a minute, I am the resurrection and the life. If you go to that tomb, I believe, Jesus was already working to bring Lazarus back to life. But you see, Lazarus was in there by himself. He had to get up in grave clothes and make his way up several crazy stairs and passages before he reached the entrance of the tomb where Jesus could announce, Come forth, 
Lazarus. He didn't come forth and then an hour later he walked out. He opened the tomb and he came out. Meaning he had to get from down there up here with grave clothes with no assistant. That would have taken a while. But you see Jesus had already started working to bring Lazarus back to life before Mary and Martha even realized it. And they go to the tomb and they're all sitting around and they're wiped, they're weeping and crying. Oh, Lazarus dead. And the Bible says in John chapter 11 that Jesus wept. Some say he wept because he was full, so filled with sorrow. Oh, because they were crying. No, I believe he was weeping because he said, if you only knew the fact that he's already alive in that tomb, it's just taken him a minute to get to the door. You would not be crying, but you would be rejoicing because I already have started working on your answer before it's even manifested. So I'm telling somebody today. Woo, i got to calm down because I'm getting excited. I'm telling somebody today that God has already worked on resurrecting things in your life, but they're just taking a while to get to the tomb door. So instead of crying and weeping over what you don't have, start rejoicing because you know that God is faithful. He is the resurrection of life, and it's only just a matter of time before your answer climbs its way out of the tomb to the door, and Jesus can finally step and say, Answer? Come forth and manifest it. But just because it hasn't reached the top of the door doesn't mean that God is not working. Baby, it's coming. So instead of crying at the door of your tomb today, why don't you get your dancing shoes out and begin to rejoice because this is the day that the Lord has made and I choose to rejoice and be glad in it. Well, it's dead. No, no, no. That's what you see because you can't see past the stone at the tomb. But on the other side, what you don't realize is the resurrection and the life has already started working it just hasn't manifested itself yet but it's coming it's coming it's coming my goodness i'm about to get off this chair and run around this table for a moment because i can feel the holy ghost reaching telling somebody come 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 i can help you but you gotta come but you start coming you wait a minute god i'm coming but nothing's happening no no no, no. what you realize the moment you get out of your seat today whether it's physical or metaphorical the moment you start moving god's gonna start working it may not manifest itself today by noon it may not manifest itself tonight by 10 o'clock it may not come tomorrow or tuesday or wednesday it may come friday or next month or next year but that doesn't mean god's not faithful because he started working the moment you started moving Woo! My Lord. Somebody needs to hear what I'm saying today. I'm, I'm usually, I'm not trying to get this fired up because I, I, I don't want my emotions to be misconstrued. It's trying to hype you up, but I feel such a powerful move of the Holy Ghost trying to tell somebody today, just come, just come. Because the moment you just make a flinch, you ever been to an auction? At an auction, they say, don't move, because if you move, they're going to call that a bid. So you can't touch your ear. You can't scratch your head. You got to stay real still, because the moment you move, the auctioneer will go, bid, bid. Bid, so you stay still. But I'm telling you today, God is looking down at you right now going, come on, baby, just make a move. Just, 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 I don't even care. Just start wiggling in your chair. I don't need you to get up and dance and shout and run the aisles. I just need you to start moving. And the moment you do, you might just sit up. The moment you might just start pressing on your chair. You might even start just putting your feet flat on the ground. And God's like, let's go, boys. Let's start it up. Let's start moving. They're moving. Let's start it. Wait a minute. I don't see it. I don't feel it. No, 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 Lazarus. He's already started working, but he's got a little climbing to do, get out of the grave because he's buried under hurt. He's buried in pain. He's buried in regret regret. He's buried in past. He's buried in abuse. He's buried in addiction, but he's got to get out of that tomb, but he's coming because you're moving. 
Father, in the name of Jesus, I speak right now, Lord. I can feel you speaking. I can feel faith trying to rise. I bind every spirit of doubt and unbelief. I bind every spirit of fear. I bind every lie of the adversary. I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. I bind the spirit of religious tradition that blinds our eyes, that we cannot see the truth of who you are. We cannot see the truth of the power of who you are. We try to earn it. We don't just receive it. We try to, we try to make it happen versus just understanding that you are the author and the finisher of our faith. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I speak faith to rise up rise up faith in the name of jesus lord show us the way some of us don't know the way but you are the way you are the truth you are the life no man comes to the father but by you so father it's about you only you and only you and about you and only you i speak now in the name of jesus let it be let it be let it be let it be in the name of jesus let it happen father right now even as we pray by faith, Father, let it happen right now as we pray. Receive it in the name of Jesus. Come on and receive it in the name of Jesus. Receive it in the name of Jesus. Receive it in the name of Jesus. Come on. I know it sounds awkward and weird. We're doing this online, but I'm telling you the Holy Ghost... Receive it right now. I'm not going to, I can't stop here for a moment. I've got to wait in the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost is trying to tell it. No, start acting now. No, start acting now. Today's the day. Today's the day. Now is the time. Now is the moment. In the name of Jesus. Let it be now in Jesus' name. 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 In the name of Jesus.